How are you guys? Really so good to be with you. I was, we were talking about um, the trip here. I, I drive from Minnesota because I, I love windshield time. and Minnesota is pretty green, and we get a fair amount of rain, so we feed those skeeters. And, and that's our state bird. It's a mosquito. And, uh, you know, so I was kind of anticipating driving through North Dakota and having it be somewhat green. And then kind of as I get into Montana, I have a little bit of that golden brown mixed in. But it's very green. Really something else. And just and just enjoy. I, I walk in the mornings and uh, do a little bit of birding. And um, it's just a thrill to be here with you. So this morning, we're going to open up with a little video uh, that I want you to watch. In the event that you have seen this, I would ask you to be on the quiet side so your neighbors can enjoy it. And then we're going to talk about it. And I'm told that if I just click, it will start. Count there it is. Interesting, isn't it? How many, how many had seen that before? And then, did you notice the curtain changing and the player leaving? Get, yeah, it, it gets you, doesn't it? There's another one that this group that studies selective attention uh, did where... They, it was on a college campus, and they, they had a, a sign outside that said, if you want to participate in a psych experiment, you can, you'll get a, a small uh, fee for signing up. And so you would come, and you'd come to the counter, and one person would be taking your information, and then they'd say, oh, hold on a second, got to drop down. And they would go down, and they'd crawl over, and an entirely different person would come up. 73% of the people missed it, didn't even notice now, what's happening is what we call selective attention. Your brain and your eyes work together, and you need to narrow the field of your concentration. Otherwise, you feel like you're, you're just in a ping-pong thing, and you can't really focus. And so it's a gift in some ways. It's also why when you know, you're, you're looking at one of those can-you-see-it pictures, and you can't see it, and your friends are like, come on, Mark. And then they point it out to you, and then you see it, and then you can't unsee it, can you? You just kind of lock in, and it's like, wow. And to make things even more interesting, there's a, a neurological fact that, you know, if you're a regular attender here at the church, and you walked into this room, what you see in this familiar room, two-thirds of it doesn't come from your eye. It comes from your cerebellum as it pulls up the memory to hasten that, which is why it's a, it's a good thing. Like when you're in your house and a thunderstorm comes and the power goes down, you can find your way around the house when the lights are up because you have a mental map. But it's not so helpful when you need to see a familiar situation with new eyes. That's what the Holy Spirit is so helpful in. Because look, look. And when the Holy Spirit illumines something, you go, wow, wow, I, I didn't see that before or see it that way before. Because the whole idea of revelation, which in the Greek, it literally means to take the cover off. And it's like, wow, you lifted the veil. And wisdom, conceptually, as a biblical term, means to see like God sees. And so... The reality is for us is that we need to keep looking. We need to keep studying and, and staring into what it is that God's showing us. And today's chapter has to do with really looking, looking beyond the obvious. 
and looking at things with this new perspective to say, Jesus, what do you want to show me here? And so if you have your Bibles, open them to Acts 3, starting verse 1. The scriptures will also be on top here. And here's the first one. We open up the story. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, about three in the afternoon. Now look at this, you guys. You could read this and go, oh, yawn. I've read this I don't know how many times. But these are different dudes now. Just a few pages ago, Peter was the guy that had been warned by the Lord, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, no way. Not happening. You guys know the Easter story, right? It happens. John ran away like a school kid screaming, ah! And now it's the middle of the day, and they're strutting their stuff to the temple. Who else is at the temple? The religious leaders who aren't so enamored with these guys. But they're walking in broad daylight. And not only that, they are going to pray. They're not just talking about prayer. They're not just wondering about how Jesus talked about it. They're going to practice prayer. It's a whole new look. It's a whole new Peter and John. Look at that. The story goes on. Look at this. There's this man who's lame from birth, and he's being carried, and he's laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So look, there's another character. It's like a Netflix movie that's unfolding. We're getting to know the characters. Here's this other guy. Now look at life through his eyes. He's been lame. How long? From birth. And here he is being hauled off to do more begging. It's the same old story, the same old routine. No hope. I just got to get through this. And not only has he been lame from birth, but also the shame that comes with it in his culture. In Middle Eastern thought, if you had some kind of lameness, some kind of malady that was seen as incurable, it, you were marked by God with a curse. In John 9, the disciples ask about a blind guy, and they say, who sinned, him or his parents? And in that instance, Jesus says, no, no, this is about the glory of God. And so this guy has not only been living with lameness, not only been an outcast sitting outside begging for his living, but he's a burden to his family. His family, he's not a productive member. They have to carry him. They set him down at this gate. It's the same thing. He's dependent on people who are giving there. Imagine the pain. Imagine the agony. And imagine it's just the same old, same old. To him and to other people who see him all the time. Oh, yeah, that's Jimmy. He's always there. That's Jimmy. He's always asking for money. And really, when you look at it, it doesn't look so good for Jimmy, does it? He's stuck. He's stuck there. The story goes on. We find out that this guy's been looking. It says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. He wanted some moolah. He picked them out. He's looking. You know, who are some guys that look like they may dig into their pocket for me? 
And he's watching for whatever the sign is that he can get. And the only thing he's really thinking about is making enough to make it through the day. He's not thinking about any other possibilities. He only sees what he's seen before. He's living in yesterday. And as he's looking that way, God, of course, is seeing a whole other side to this. Because God's about to crank up the lights. He's about to crank up the looking power, not just for this man, but for also Peter and John. Look at the next verse. Peter directs his gaze at him, and so did John. And he said, look at us. And he fixes the tents on them, expecting to receive some money. He's like, I knew these guys would be softies. Oh, Pete, he's going to dig deep and give me something. They look at him. Now think about this, guys. When you're, I don't know what it's like here in Helena, but I know what it's like in Minneapolis. When you're in Minneapolis, every stoplight that you stop at, what's at the corner? A homeless person holding a sign. And are they looking at you? Yep. And what do you do? Because you know if you lock eyes, uh, it's kind of over, right? And that's kind of what's happening in this dynamic. There's, there's this awkward feeling, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, what, what you, what's going to happen here. I don't know if I want to get tied up this. But look, what, look, as Peter looks at him, he says, look at us. Check us out. Now, we know this guy has been looking at him for money, but Pete's saying, look again. Don't look at this as the same old, same old. Don't look at this as this is going to be the same as yesterday. Look at, look at what God is doing because Peter is seeing something. Something that he, he's not seen yesterday. He's seeing it right now in this moment. He's been asking Jesus, Lord, what do you want me to see? You guys, how many situations do we walk through on visual cruise control? We're just looking at it like we always look at it. And we miss the gorilla walking through. And we miss the person leaving. And we miss the curtains changing. And we miss, most importantly, what God might want to do. Because we have to ask ourselves the question, how are we seeing the situation? How are we seeing this person or this problem? How are we seeing God in this exchange with this person? How? Look. Look with fresh eyes. I'm here today because 44 years ago, someone looked at me in a very different way. I was in serious soup. I was a rascal, and everybody that was uh, in administration in my college Knew, oh, that Spencer. But I was a wascally wabbit. They couldn't quite catch me in anything until my roommate, Jerome, got this harebrained idea to order those blowguns out of outdoor sportsmen. Have you guys ever seen those things? They're lethal weapons. He comes running in the room after the mail's distributed. He goes, look at this, Spence. I go, what do you got? And he pulls out this long six-foot tube. He goes, I go, what is it? Looks like conduit. He goes, it's a blowgun. No way. He goes, yeah. Puts in this dart. And it sticks into the wall. And I'm like, dude, that's crazy. So what do two stupid college students do? They go wandering out with a blowgun. 
And what do we see? A squirrel going up the tree. What do we do? Jerome hits the squirrel dead on, and now it's wiggling on the tree. And these girls are coming back from lunch, and they're going, ah! And someone ran, and they got the dean of students, and the dean of students ran our way, and there we are. What are you guys doing? Oh, and the blowgun's above my head. Uh, Nothing. And they got me. So with my roommate, Jerome, he was not near the trouble that I was, but they, now they got Spencer. So they took me before the Student Judiciary Council, which in this case, they also had the president of the college, all the deans, and then all these students, and they were going to decide my fate. And as I'm there, they kind of grilled me, and I just thought, you know, the best thing I can do is be honest. I was caught red-handed. Yep, yep, did that, yep. They say, that's a firearm. You were walking around campus with a loaded firearm, Mr. Spencer. I'm like, ah. Then I stopped. And the president of the college says, well, Mr. Spencer, I have hard news for you. You are going to be the first distinguished student from Ripon College to be expelled from a college. Not suspended, expelled. You will leave the campus, and you will never, ever be allowed back on the campus. They just wanted to. And in my mind, I'm, I, I'm running through my head, and I know the stuff that I had done, and I know that, you know, this isn't really a fair deal with this, but when you add everything Spencer did, I should probably get worse. And I'm thinking about what am I going to tell my mom? She was so proud that I was the first Spencer to go to college. Now I'm going to tell her that I got expelled. And it's running through my mind, and I'm just waiting for the president to open the door and kick me in the hind end. And all of a sudden, there's this man who was a dean, Steve Gould, stands up and he said, excuse me, president, might I have a word with the council without Mark in the room? The president looks at him. He looks at the president and he goes, okay. Mr. Spencer, will you step out, please? So I step out, wondered, what's this going to be? And Steve Gould went to bat for me. Five minutes later, I'm called back in. The president goes, well, because of Dean Gould's uh, Speaking on your behalf, you're reinstituted. You'll be on probation forever. (laughs) Yeah. But you're reinstituted. You're allowed to to remain on campus. You'll be on probation, but you're on campus. And my head's spinning. And that's the end of the meeting. He gaffles it. Everybody leaves. and, and And I'm like, what just happened? So... I can see Steve Gould walk out the door, and he's walking up the walkway, and, and I catch up to him, and I go, Dean Gould, Dean Gould, whoa, 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 wait a second. And, and he turns around, and I say, I got to ask you, why did you do that? You guys, he turned around, and he looked me square on in the eyes, and he said, because I see something in you. And I've never had anyone say that to me before. Not a dad, not a coach, not a neighbor, not a teacher. I see something in you. And by the look in his eyes, I thought, wow, whatever he's smoking, I'll have two of those. (laughs) Or, 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 he really means it. He goes one step further. He goes, in fact, you know what I see in you? And I'm like, no, what? And he goes, I think you're a leader. And I I thought I was a misleader, but okay. 
And he said, I want you to apply to be the head resident of your dorm. Because we were losing the head resident. And I'm thinking, this guy really is smoking good stuff. (laughs) And lo and behold, we leave for vacation. We come back. I go through the interview process. Some of the very same people that were expelling me from college were on that interviewing committee. They hired me to be the head resident. Fast forward to my first day on the job. Actually, the second day on the job, my dorm was Animal House. All my friends were there. It was party downtime. Spencer's in charge. Woo! Turn up the music. And they were. Second floor was going to become first floor pretty quick. They were rocking it. And I'm down in my apartment, and I'm pacing, and I'm thinking, you know what? I have not stood for anything This guy, Steve Gould, I don't know, maybe he was smoking something, but he went on a limb for me, and I got to stand for something. So I went up to the second floor, stopped the stereo. Everyone's looking at me, and I said, I'm going to write you all up, party's over. And they're like, ah, and I didn't laugh, and it cut me off from all those bad friends. And it was the beginning of God saving Mark Spencer from himself but it all started because someone looked at me they looked at me and they saw what I couldn't see and they they looked and here's Peter and he's looking at this guy and he sees something in this guy it's like I see something in you and he says this I have no silver or gold But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. It's kind of like Pete says, look, look at us. We didn't pull up at the temple in our brand new Lexus. We aren't dressed to the nines. We still look like sloppy fishermen. But look at Peter. He's seen Jesus heal. He's been right there when Jesus has raised people up from lameness, from death. And now it's game time, Pete. It's a new Pete. It's not the old Pete. It's a new Pete. This is Pete without the Spirit. This is Pete with the Spirit. This is Pete the coward. This is Pete the courageous. This is Pete not so faithful. This is Pete very faithful. Let's do this. Look. Look. He's in the game. Now stop for a second. Be honest with me. How do you look at this passage? Do you look at it and you go, well, God could never use me like that. He uses Peter, but I'm not Peter. Do you look at it and you go, well, I I don't know, I, I prayed for healing every once in a while, but I haven't really seen any healings. Do you look at it and you say, well, my mom told me not to talk to strangers. How do you look at it? You see, it's not a story for us just to read and go home and put it on the shelf. It's a story to get us up out of the chair. It's a story for us to walk into whatever we're walking into with new eyes. It's a story for us to see the reality of the kingdom of God crashing down upon whatever it is on earth and changing it with eternal power. Take a new look at a familiar passage. 
Because this is what the kingdom is about. This is what kingdom living looks like. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 10. And proclaim as you go. Saying the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Then what people? Verse 8. Look. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. You receive without paying. Give without pay. You've got something to give. Do you know why? Who's in your heart? Who's in your heart? Who is there? Not a rhetorical question. It's a Sunday school question. You know the right answer? Who's in your heart? Jesus. Can Jesus heal? Yep. Jesus can raise the dead? Yep. He raised Mark Spencer. Jesus is in you. Liberate. But you've got to start by first looking, looking freely with what you've received. Freely give it away. Some of my best ministry experiences happened at a factory called Anderson Windows. I had finished graduate school. I wanted to pay off my student loans. We had a third child coming. I needed to make some money. Anderson Windows was a great place to work. And so into the factory I went. And I love blue collar. I love that kind of work. And somehow, I don't know how it got out. But even before I started, they knew that I was studying to become a pastor. Because in the first hour, there was this guy whose nickname was Cannon. Because his mouth was like a cannon. And he's shooting off his mouth. He's saying, hey, preacher boy, how do you like it here? And he's going on and on and on and on. And so I'm, I'm praying for old Cannon. And word got out. And people were wondering. And different people, you know, they, they would do things to try to provoke me. And one day Cannon was trying to run the the window-making machine, and something slammed and crammed in there, and he used the Lord's name in vain, really loud. And so it just came to me. I shouted back at Cannon. I say, hey, Cannon, is that the first time you prayed? <laughs> and he looked at me, and he goes, what do you mean prayed? I said, well, you called on God's name. What? I said, you did? I said, God does other things and sends stuff south. Ask him for something else. Like, maybe ask him to fix the machine. Oh, that's stupid. Oh, you think so? Jesus, help the machine work. Yeah, like that's going to work. He puts the parts and hits the button and it works. Jesus is up there going, yeah. <laughs> that's how we roll. I'd have people that would come over at lunchtime and they'd, they'd, they'd come over and they'd kind of be looking around the, the, the workroom and and then they would, they'd see me, and then they'd come over, and they'd, they'd walk up to me, and they'd say, are, are, you, are you that preacher guy? Maybe. Are you that preacher guy that's the counselor? Maybe. What do you need? I remember one time Blake sat down next to me, and, you know, talk about your, you know, having to look at a situation with new eyes. He says, can I talk to you about my marriage? I said, Sure. Because me and my old lady got in a fight. And I said, oh, those arguments, those are tough. And he goes, no, my wife can really hit hard. 
And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I mean, they had a full-out rumble. He's a biker dude, you know. But as I faithfully looked at the situation and walked with Jesus through that, for those two years that I was there, hearts began to change. A miniature revival. These guys, it was so funny when we moved two years later to join a church staff, the people that moved us were these Anderson Window biker guys. We had about 40 Harleys rolling in. You should see my kids' eyes. Like, Dad, are these your friends? Yep. Last day, this is, this is the proudest moment I've ever had in ministry. Last day, they planned a surprise party for me at lunch. Here comes Blake, the guy that, you know, his marriage has been transformed. He's holding a white sheet case with a, a, sheet cake with a red cross on it. It says, God loves you and so do we. And then Cannon comes up with something behind his back. I was worried, like, what's behind his back? And he says to me, he goes, Spence, do you know how hard it is to find a Harley Davidson t-shirt with God's name on it? <laughs> I said, I reckon it's pretty hard. He goes, here, we want you to have this. It says, on the eighth day, God created Harley Davidson. <laughs> I still got it. I still got it. Don't throw that one away. You see, what happens is when you're active sharing your faith, you become aware of all the good things you have in Christ. Because you begin to enter it and you begin to look at things new and God gives you new eyes and it's so incredible. And can you imagine how it felt and how it looked to Pete and John as the story continues? He he sticks his right hand out. He he grabs this guy and he pulls him up and he's standing up. The NIV says instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Bam! That's incredible. Oh, because he's looking at it differently. And when you look at things differently, it starts a holy avalanche. The momentum of the kingdom begins to take advantage of that moment because look what happens. He jumps up. He begins to walk. He enters the temple. He's never been there before. Life is looking so different. You're lame. You can't enter the temple. You're out there. We're in here. There's some reason you're cursed. You stay out there. All of a sudden, this guy's life, not only is he walking, he's going into the temple of God. I can be one of his people. And he's walking and leaping and praising God. It's incredible. Life looks so incredibly different. And the avalanche continues because look what happens. And all the people saw him. This is Jimmy. We've seen Jimmy day after day. Look at him. And they recognize he's the, that's, that's Jimmy. What happened to Jimmy? He's like, doing the Holy Ghost two-step. What, what, what's, what's going on? How did that happen? They're, 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 they're amazed. They're speechless. It's incredible things they're looking up. And it all started with a new look. I remember when my daughter, Maria, my oldest daughter, we knew that that, uh, she was having some problems, the poor girl. She had something with her eyesight where she couldn't get death perception, so she was walking into door frames and different things. So we got her to the eye doctor, and the doctor said, oh, yeah, she needs corrective lenses, you know. And so they, they get the corrective lenses. I'll never forget when I took Maria to the eye doctor to pick up her glasses. And she puts on her glasses. 
And at first, you know, if you've ever got corrective lenses, you're kind of like, whoa, steady the ship. But then she walked outside. And as she walked outside, she stopped. And she was like this. I said, you all right? Dad, look at that tree. Yeah. Look at those leaves. Have you not seen leaves before? I knew they were there. Look at them. They have a shape. They have these neat little lines. And I'm thinking, oh, Maria, I'm sorry we waited so long. She had a whole new look on life. So here's my question for you guys. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? The Bible is a book about looking through God's eyes. Moses and Israel are heading out to a promised land. They're looking for it, and all of a sudden, all they see in front of them is a big pond. When they look behind, here comes an army, and they're not there to get, get into the parade. It looks bad. Until God says, hey, look, raise your staff. You know the story. God leads him right on through and takes care of the army. Israel's looking at this gigantic MMA fighter named Goliath. He's grunting and snorting and spitting and he chews tobacco and taunts Israel. Forty days, morning and night, taunting them. And all of Israel is looking at the wrong thing. And along comes some punk kid that takes care of sheep and he's wicked good with a slingshot. They're thinking, Goliath's too big to beat. David's looking at it differently. He says, Goliath's too big to miss. And you know the rest of the story. It looks bad. They crucify the Savior. No one expected that. Oh, the demons are cheering. They're all... Looks ugly. Till all of a sudden, Mary and the disciples get a whole new look at a whole new Jesus. Behold, I am live. What are you looking at? Are you looking at a situation that's been there all your life and you think, God oh, will never change? That's how the lame man felt. Are you looking at a relationship where you go, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. Maybe God's has a different way for you to look at it. How do you look at yourself? When you look at the mirror, I mean, I have those moments. Look at me. I look at myself and I go, what happened to me? <laughs> but then I have to say, Lord, Lord, help me to see myself like you see me. I want to close praying for you that you would have a spiritual awakening like Maria did. When you walk out those doors, you'll do this. Whoa. All of a sudden, I'm seeing it way different. Let's pray. Lord, you don't tell us stories to put us to sleep. You tell us stories to wake us up, to keep us up, to keep us going. You tell us stories 
that want to get inside us and they have kind of a, a stirring and kind of a burring effect and impact that we just cannot set back. We can't go back because now we've heard the story. And I pray for myself and I pray for my friends that in the name of Jesus, we would see, we would see, Lord. We even got music playing. It's awesome. We would see, Lord, how you see it. Do not let us look through the old lens. Holy Spirit, would you come right now, right now, and fill us in such a way is that we would get revelation, that we would get wisdom, that we would see like you see. You, the way, the life, and the truth. Help us to see that way. In Jesus' name, amen.